Good morning, Redemption Hill Church, and those of you who are tuning in to watch. It is a privilege and an honor to be here with you this morning sharing God's Word. I'm looking forward to this. Um, please forgive me if I don't look at the camera all the time. I tend to be introverted, and I'll probably just stare at my shoes because that's comfortable. I trust that the Word of God impacts your heart this morning. I've been thinking about a lot of things lately. Normally, I am pretty level emotionally. I've got a relatively large ability to handle adversity. But lately, I've been struggling. I've been discouraged. I can feel myself becoming detached and isolated, and I don't like it. But I realized in that process that none of these things that are happening right now, the circumstances around me are new or surprising to God. And I thought about the scriptures that remind me of that. There's talk of conspiracies, different angles, different levels. And I thought of Jacob and Esau with Jacob stealing Esau's birthright in Genesis 25. I think of Jacob and his mom, Rachel, stealing the blessing from Esau. God knew about that. We see information distorted and misused with Joseph and Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39. We see unjust forceful treatment with Joseph and his brothers when they cast him in a well and then later when he's thrown in prison on false charges. We see Paul and Silas in Philippi later in the New Testament beaten and jailed without charges. We see grumbling and complaining about the circumstances with Israel in the wilderness multiple times. God, why can't we have water? God, we want some meat. God, it would have been better for us to just die in Egypt. We see extreme cases of prejudice with Pharaoh murdering Hebrew babies because of the threat he thought they posed and Herod doing the same thing in the New Testament. We see the Jews hating the Samaritans because they didn't follow the same religious standards. Discouraging things that parallel what we're facing right now. So in our current situation, where do we turn for encouragement? What do we do to combat discouragement? Well, God pointed me back to Psalm 42 and 43, and that's what I'd like to share with you this morning as we look about at this, because I believe there's a clear answer to what's going on. Uh, I'd like to give you a quick overview of these uh, psalms. The author is probably not David, though many of the psalms are, and I apologize now, Mr. Spurgeon, I don't agree with your position on that. Many commentators think that these two psalms were originally one, and if you're somebody who gets really interested in the details of why that happens, um, get a hold of Sean. He can get me in contact with you, and we can talk about that. Um, technical things interest me, not so much many of you. It was also probably written in the Babylonian captivity when God sent Israel out of the land as judgment for their sin and as his fulfillment of the promise for the land to have a period of rest. And again, if you'd like to know how I came to that, let me know. So let's read Psalm 42 and 43 together, please. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, 
with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep, all the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to understand the truth that's here, to see what you do for us in the midst of turmoil and confusion and hard situations. God, may our hearts be drawn to you and lifted up as the psalmists were. Help us to understand better how to follow you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you noticed, but there were three verses verse 5 and 11 of chapter 42 and verse 5 of chapter 43 that were identical. And they are absolutely identical in Hebrew. Each of those verses poses two questions, a response, and then gives a reason for the response. And I'd like to start with those three verses before we look at the things that lead into them. As we get going there, there's something that I want us to remember and be reminded of. When God says something, we need to listen. We need to pay attention because it's God, the maker of the universe, communicating with us. If it's repeated, then we really need to pay attention. An example of this is in the book of Ezekiel. Um, There are at least 48 times in the book of Ezekiel that we see the phrase, you shall know that I am the Lord. I have never seen in one section of scripture an idea repeated so many times I think that's the most important thing that God wants us to know is to know him. And so he used that emphasis to draw us to that truth. Here we have a truth repeated three times. I think we need to listen carefully. First thing it says is, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my salvation and my God. 
Let's look at the two questions in the first half of each of those three verses. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Matthew Henry rephrased this as, Why do I thus dishonor God with my melancholy dejections? Why do I discourage others and do so much injury to myself? Great questions. Why do I dishonor God with my melancholy dejections? Why do I discourage others and cause myself so much injury? But that's not what caught my attention. What caught my attention is the literal rending of these verses. And the first half of the question is this. Why are you causing yourself to be discouraged, my inner being? Why are you causing yourself to be discouraged? And the second question is, why are you growling like a bear? I got to tell you, I'm a teacher. And there are times in class that I found myself growling at my students. Why? They were doing things they probably shouldn't be doing, and I'd hit a point of frustration, and the only thing that expressed that was the growling. Probably not the best thing to do, but it happened. Why are you causing? That's what interests me. What was making these things happen? The person wasn't just discouraged. They were making themselves discouraged. And so those questions refer us back to the verses that lead into each of them in Psalms 42, 1 to 4 and 6 to 10. And also in chapter 43, verses 1 to 4. So let's look at the reasons that the psalmist gave in these sections for allowing or causing their discouragement. We see in verses 1 to 4, a deer panting and a soul panting. Picture this. It's a desert country. It's hot. Water is sparse, hard to find. Um, A deer panting like this either has not had water or has been chased. And so picture that sense of need and desire And that's how the psalmist's heart felt as they looked to God. They desired them with that deep longing thirst. It's so dry that when you find the water, you don't want to quit drinking. And even then, it doesn't feel like you're able to quench your thirst. The psalmist goes on and talks about their soul thirsting for the living God. And part of the reason is given in verse 2. When am I ever going to get back? to the place where I can worship with others together in your presence. That thought brings about weeping. The picture of eating tears is the idea of this deep, intense sorrow that leads to weeping. They can't eat. Their tears have become their food because they can't eat because of this sorrow. Why? Because of the oppressors those who were holding them captive and asking the question, where is your God? The nation of Israel were the people who claimed to have a relationship with the one true God, a God who is more powerful than any of the others. And yet here they find themselves in captivity and a captor would rightly taunt and say, hey, if your God is so powerful, then why is it that you're sitting here in captivity They neglected the fact that God had made promises about the land 
that needed to be fulfilled, and this was part of that accomplishment. And then the psalmist is remembering in verse 4, his soul is poured out, the idea of your inner being just melting. Why? Because he used to lead the worshipers in Jerusalem. He wasn't just part of the throng. He set the example. He led the way. He was so devout and committed that he was one of the first ones there. There was joy. There was excitement. There was praise. And all of that is gone and missing now. And so from the psalmist's perspective, as we get back to the question, why am I causing myself to be discouraged? Are you kidding? Aren't those enough reasons right there to be discouraged? It's almost like when God asks Jonah in chapter 4, after he's taken the message to Nineveh, he sits back to watch what God does, sits under the plant that God provides, and the plant withers. And God says, do you, well to, do, you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah responds, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Psalmist was responding in a similar way. But the reasons go on. They don't even stop there. That would be enough, but they continue in verse 6. We see the psalmist remembering. And the picture there of the mountains that are shown is really the idea of someone seeing Jerusalem, the place of worship, the place where they long to be from a distance, seeing the hill where it was from far off hills, knowing that it was out of their reach. I grew up in eastern Nevada. We lived in a long valley. And as we came into that valley after being away, there was a corner that you would turn. And shortly after that, if it was nighttime especially, you could see the lights of the city. The first thing you would see is the flash of the airport beacon. And then the lights came in to sight. You could see it for 30, almost 40 miles. And I remember that sense of joy and longing and anticipation of being back home again from that reminder of seeing it. And that's what the psalmist is dealing with here. They're taken away from that. Verse 7, they feel like they're sinking or drowning. In fact, my soul is cast down with, whoops, sorry, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. That is also from the book of Jonah. When Jonah is cast into the sea, as he's sinking down, he calls out to God, and this is the same identical thought. There's no apparent rescue in sight, and the circumstances at that point are dismal. But in verse 8, the psalmist gets a reminder of God's steadfast love and mercy, and it produces a song in the night. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of encouragement where God brings a reminder of a song to you. Uh, as I was doing this, I was thinking God's steadfast love, his mercy. And the psalmist might have been singing, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing, I will sing. Or even in this point, he had probably already had familiarity with the tune from the start. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. He's remembering God and his goodness and his greatness. And he's praying to him in verse 9. And we see, though, that he sees God as his rock, his place of solid, stable security. And yet he concludes 
that God has forsaken him and allows him to go mourning. And he's mourning again because of the oppression of the enemies. And this oppression is so bad that it says, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. That deadly wound reads better like they're breaking my bones, they're crushing me. Well, how is he being crushed? What was causing this deep oppression? Well, it's the reproach of his enemies. Again, where is your God? As a believer, what could hurt more than our God being mocked and ridiculed and our faith being torn apart by those who don't understand, who have never had the opportunity to see God? And so it takes us back again to the question, why am I causing myself to be discouraged? Is it clear yet? The circumstances are bad. We come to Psalm 43 and verses 1 to 4, and we start to see a change in the psalmist's focus in this section. We see him start with praying for vindication, judgment to come on his enemies. We see him pleading his cause and asking for God to bring deliverance. But he's not out of the woods yet because in verse 2 we see him questioning, God, why do you cast me off? Why am I mourning still because of the oppression that's happening to me? We see him pleading with God in verse 3, send light and truth to return me to your house, to the place of worship. Light and truth. Where does your mind go when you hear those two words? Light and truth. Mind go to the gospel and to things that Jesus said about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is truth. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So as in the Old Testament, the temple was the place and focus of worship where God resided. In the New Testament, we see Jesus being the place and focus and being of worship. And the psalmist recognized that. And we see this sense of even in the Old Testament where they had not yet come face to face with Jesus, the understanding that light and truth, which are in him incarnate, were the place of hope and joy and strength. And the psalmist wraps this up then with a promise. He promises to go to God's altar. That would be a promise to bring sacrifices to God, to bring praise to him, to engage in worship as was their habit and custom. The psalmist sees at the end, O God, my God, that it isn't just the place Jerusalem that should be his joy. God himself is the exceeding joy. And we see the question one more time, why am I causing myself to be cast down? Why am I in turmoil? There are still circumstances, but the psalmist is beginning to see where his hope is really supposed to come from. So since we can and do discourage ourselves, is it possible we can also cause ourselves to hope? I think the psalmist gives us a pretty emphatic yes as we look at the second half of those three verses. The phrase, hope in God, at the beginning of each one, again is literally, cause yourself 
to hope in God. These aren't made up, puffed up, self-motivational ideas. The cause of hope is remembering who God is and all that he has done. It's because he is our savior that we can have hope. It is found in the process of speaking truth about the nature and character of God to ourselves. And so we see that the psalmist knows, they understand it's not the location or the circumstances or our enemy's attitude that should be determining our attitudes and responses. We should not be causing ourselves to be discouraged because of circumstances. Rather, the presence of God himself in our lives and dependence on that truth, the truth of who he is and what he's done, should be the basis for how we think and act. That should cause us to hope in him regardless of the situation. If we go back to verse 4 of verse 43, we saw the psalmist begin to do this. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O my God. The writer reminds himself that knowing the reality of who God is and how he has faithfully acted in the past should cause us to hope. So here's a question. How do you cause yourself to be discouraged? It probably looks different than it does for me. But you know and I know that like the psalmist, instead of causing ourselves to be discouraged, we should be causing ourselves to hope in God. We have evidence that none of these current circumstances are new to him. We have evidence of his faithful care throughout history for his people. We have evidence through the resurrection that God has better things waiting for us. We are going to spend eternity with him, present with God, absent from sin and pain and suffering and sorrow. We have every reason to cause ourselves to hope in God. He is our Savior. He is our God. So why are you causing yourself to be discouraged? Why are you in so much turmoil and growling like a bear? Cause yourself to hope in God. He is our Savior. He is our God.